The conversation continues right now with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. And as you know, well, I hopefully you know by now, um, I, Dominique DePrima, we at First Things First, Dominique and Miles Lowe, uh, along with Shikai, uh, Shikari Byerly, the first to unveil, really the first in the nation to unveil this survey, this polling done by KBLA Talk 1580, well, commissioned by us, uh, done by the firm Eviteris, respected um, pollsters. And we are doing this partly because polling people, polling uh, pollsters, ignore us. And we're going to keep doing it. We, KBLA, are going to keep doing polls. Part of the goal is to prevent uh, local officials, county, state, you know, national conversations from excluding specific uh, and nuanced black voices in these conversations. And there's so much to unpack here. Um, Jumping on with me uh, really quick as he's flying around doing lots of things today, the founder of the Fannie Lou Hamer uh, Institute. He's a lead organizer with Black Lives Matter Grassroots and BLM LA. And he's my colleague here on KBLA. He's one of the uh, rotating hosts of This Is Not a Drill, Black Lives Matter show, Saturday mornings. Akili, uh, good morning. Good morning, Dominique, and good morning to the KBLA family. Uh, And Dominique, uh, part of the reason I'm calling in is because this is the 12th anniversary of the murder of Trayvon Martin. Uh, He would be 29 years old today. Right. Today was today's his birthday, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, And there was, you know, there's a weekend of activities here to remember him and commemorate uh, his murder, but also to build the Trayvon Martin Foundation uh, and the work that they're doing around, specifically focused around gun violence and, and family support and participation that they've been involved in. Uh, and I've, I've, you know, one of the things that Trayvon Martin's death did was it was the spark, the match, if you will, that lit the uh, Black Lives Matter grassroots flame um, because it was uh, the the the, the, the non-conviction uh, of George uh, Zimmerman that sparked the outrage uh, and that led to the discussions that had been happening between, uh, you know, three organizers, three black women organizers, and a hashtag that talked about Black Lives Matters. And so from that discussion, from that simple statement, a movement was built. But I find it ironic that... Um, we are here to commemorate him, but many of the, the problems, many of the, the causes that led to his death, unfortunately, still exist. Uh, and, and we do need to remember, you know, just like we remember George Floyd, just like we remember uh, Breonna Taylor uh, and, and the rest, that uh, unfortunately, black death, uh, is, which is a high price to pay to wake America up and to wake white folks up, to the conditions of black people. So I just wanted to call in and remind people about Trayvon Martin. He would be 29 years old. Um, he would be living a full life, uh, but his life was cut short by a, a vigilante, if you will. Yeah, a wannabe cop. Um, yeah. yeah, commemorating, I think, you know, his birth is um, very uplifting. And, you know, of course, we want to commemorate people's deaths also, but it's it's wonderful to commemorate his 
his heavenly birthday and um, uplifting the work. You know, I know you're on the way back from that full weekend of, of activities, the work that the Trayvon Martin Foundation continues to do. Um, that's something you can support, you know, by um, paying attention to it or even making a donation uh, if you want to. So as his family continues to carry out, out important uh, work, it's TrayvonMartinFoundation.org, TrayvonMartinFoundation.org. Akil, yes. oh, go ahead. Yes. Well, and the family, particularly his mother, has been a driving force uh, around that. I mean, bringing other uh, impacted families together and women. I mean, there's a women's circle that they had that they started some years ago uh, that has been meeting and, and working with family members and mothers in particular, and they have a men's circle. Uh, so a lot of the work that the foundation does is around bringing people together who have un these unfortunate set of common conditions where they've lost a loved one uh, to, to violence. Uh, whether it's uh, community violence or police violence. Uh, and they've been you know, very active in really focusing on, uh, on gun violence. So, yeah. uh, but but uh, uh, Sabrina, his mother, has really been a driving force uh, around first the commemoration and remembrance of George Floyd and what happened and why it happened, uh, and then doing what she can and others can to try to make sure it doesn't continue to happen. Right, got it. TrayvonMartinFoundation.org. We just have a couple minutes left here, Akili, but I want to get your quick take because I know you spent many, many years um, working on campaigns, uh, including Jesse Jackson all the way up to uh, Barack Obama, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. in that space. And as you know, KBLA has uh, commissioned this groundbreaking study to look at how black folks feel about uh, public safety in particular and the district attorney's race uh, specifically. And um, it's, it's kind of, it's pretty startling at, at looking at this data there. I don't see how, I mean, I grant you this is only black voters, but I don't see how they avoid a runoff um, in this race uh, with Gascon um, getting uh 21% support and then these there's uh, all these other candidates who are showing up um at 1 and 2%. <laughs> well, and I think that that's an indication of two things. Uh one, and I'm going to take it back a few years prior to the the uh, the involvement of Black Lives Matter and what we did to remove the last district attorney. The district attorney's office was not we didn't pay very much attention to it. Uh, once, you know, Steve Cooley was there for many years and then Jackie Lacey, uh, and we didn't pay very much attention to it. Uh, but when Black Lives Matter stepped in, we started activating it, and so it's become much more, it's a much more high-profile office. That's the first thing. The second thing is that because it was kind of assumed, we, did, we really don't know what the district attorney did, you know, uh, and we found that out. Uh, during the Jackie Lacey process, that a lot of folks don't even know what the district attorney does. And then finally, because you may not be touched by crime or you may not be touched by an investigation, you don't think it affects you. Well, it's so, real, but I mean, it's interesting, um, Akili, because it's something like 
uh, 45% of the, the people surveyed have been the victim of a property crime personally yeah. within the past couple of years. And some, tw- I think it's 24% um, that have had themselves or a loved one uh, victim of a violent crime. So, and I guess what you're saying explains why, you know, more than 50%, more than half of black folks say they're watching this race closely. They just, we just haven't made up our minds. And, 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 and think about it. Um, I mean, we haven't in large part because we we're not certain about the, the, um, the, the impact that it will have in our lives and on our lives and in our communities. Um, I think Gascon, who I endorse and support, um, has done a good job of trying to do database, a data-driven uh, you know, uh, prosecution. And he's prosecuted law enforcement in ways that haven't been done in many years, uh, if at all. Uh, so, and that was one of his commitments. He's met with the families on a regular basis. He has, you know, he's, he's gotten, uh, he's gotten released people who should have been released a long time ago. And he's not focusing on punishment, which is the, the ethos in our, in our society, which is punish people first. And then if that don't work, punish them more. Uh, so he's getting away from just, yeah, yeah, but it's not like he's, it's, it's not, but it's not like uh, this perception is that he's just letting people do whatever. I mean, there, there's plenty of people going to jail under Gascon. Yes, but, but one of the things that we found out through the, you know, the discussion around mass incarceration, that just sending people to jail and, and, and filling up the prisons doesn't make us any, any safer. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so I think on the one hand, we want to be safe. On the other hand, we're spending millions of billions of dollars locking people up, and we're still unsafe. Uh, and so I think his approach has been fundamentally sound. I think that his efforts at trying to turn away from just lock everybody up and throw away a key and punish them to how do we make sure that we can have a safe society by looking at, at data-driven uh, approaches and, and looking at how we can build relationships in communities yeah. to to reduce some of the violence. Akili, we, we got to leave it there because you know what we do. It's uh, a <laughs> news, traffic, and sports. Thank you so much Absolutely. for checking in with us uh, along the way in your travels. No, and thank you so much. And please, if you would, remember Trayvon Martin. Absolutely. Say his name. It's KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA Talk 1580 is an intervention. When we come forward, includes you. KBLA Talk 1580, turning pain into power. Power. We knew you'd stick around. This is LA's home for progressive talk radio. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. And we're doing that thing that we do where we're interviewing all the folks that are on the ballot in specifically important races to us. Uh, You can find those interviews at KBLA 1580 along with our groundbreaking survey of black likely voters in Los Angeles, which just dropped uh, an hour and a half ago. It's available at KBLA 1580 as well. Joining me live in the studio, you'll want to go to youtube.com KBLA 1580 to see and hear her. Uh, She is a small business owner, a CPA. She serves on the LA County Citizens Economy and Efficiency Commission. Bet you didn't even know there was one of those. She works at the intersection of racial justice, economic equity, and corporate social responsibility. 
and she is running uh, now to be your state senator for District 35, uh, which is being um, vacated by Stephen Bradford. He's termed out, so this is actually an open seat. Uh, Commissioner Jennifer Trichelle Marie Williams, welcome. Thank you so much, Dominique. And, yeah, it's great to have you on. And you, we were um, speaking uh, before we started. That's your whole name is going to be on the ballot. Yes, my whole name, Jennifer Trichelle Marie Williams. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a crowded race. A lot of people want to be a state senator. You've been a commissioner. Um, why do you want to why do you want to run for why are you running for state senate? I'm running for state senate because um, I actually had time to reflect on some of the challenges that I've overcome in my life or things that I faced. And I realized that so many people uh, in this district, not just in this district, but certainly in this district, are facing these same issues. And so I felt a responsibility uh, having overcome a lot of these challenges to now give back, to sacrifice, um, to serve. So that's why I'm running. Um, I've been really clear on my campaign's mission from the very beginning, very consistently, which is to transform lives and to renew a sense of love and collective responsibility in society through the values of transparency, equity and accountability. And I mean, those it sounds good. It also sounds very like overviewish, right? Mm -hmm. Like very um philosophical and not so specific give me some specifics what you're talking about sure um well i do think that a mission can be greater than just the work that you do um and so i do think it's good to have an aspirational mission at the same time we do need to get to specifics so specifically uh what it means to transform lives is to improve the quality of life of the residents of senate district 35 through economic opportunities by creating equitable access to quality health care, food equity, um, making sure we have high quality education, equitable education, and making sure we have housing. Uh, everyone deserves a roof over their head, and that's just not the case um, in California, let alone District 35. A lot of, you know, I mean, I think probably every every candidate, I haven't talked to all of y'all yet, um, for uh, District 35 will say, they want to create housing, but how? Yeah. So I've actually put out policy um, infographics on my Instagram, JTM Will, um, which goes over my how and some of the ideas that I'm proposing for addressing the affordable housing crisis. One of those uh, things is really making sure we have a focus on homelessness prevention, um, making sure that we're reducing the cost uh, to build more housing and bringing back social housing. You know, I'm from I'm from this district. I'm from Willowbrook. I was born in Ujima Village, was which was a housing development. Uh, we kind of got away from housing developments, but those were really key, I think, in preventing and keeping us from the homeless crisis that we now face. Mm. So you're talking about housing projects? Yeah, but making sure that we're they're not what we typically think of of projects. I think there's a stigma around projects. Um, and so making sure that we're developing them in a way that makes them desirable, that makes them just as, as desirable as any other um, community. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does seem like we're at a point where government, whether it's state, city, county, is going to have to actually get 
into the housing business because I don't it seems like we're we're not we're just not keeping up. No. And I think the state has not played the um, the watchdog role that I think it needs to to hold local jurisdictions accountable for actually developing. We have the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, RENA, um, that comes out every every you know so often and that's supposed to say okay we need this x amount of affordable you know very low low but the state isn't holding local jurisdictions accountable for actually developing and that's a problem you're also an accountant Mm -hmm. that's your main uh main job right yes um how does how does that translate into being an elected official i mean i guess skeptics would say you're young You've never held statewide office. You're an accountant, for goodness sakes. Why should we give you this role? I think the exact, those exact three things are exactly why uh, folks should think about voting for me. Um, Right now, 40% of California's electorate is under the age of 40. I'm the only candidate in this race under the age of 40. And so in that way, I bring more equitable representation than any of the other candidates. Uh, I'm a CPA, certified public accountant, uh, and a lot of what state legislators do is around the budget. We have a 38 to 68, depending on <laughs> who you ask, budget deficit facing our state's budget next year. I'm the only CPA in this race. So who better to help address that than a CPA? And I haven't run for elected office, but... We need diversity of perspectives. We have enough career politicians in Sacramento. I think that's part of the problem. Actually, I, I guess it's not that crowded, but we do have um, some veteran. You're running against some veteran lawmakers. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple other black women in the race. So this is at least three black women. Um, what I can see, one uh, Latino guy. Um, not that that's the, the, the identity is everything. Right. But um, how would you distinguish yourself from the other? I mean, the other two black women who are running are also uh, Democrats. Yes. Um, there's a lot of Democrats. There's only one Republican running in this race. How would I distinguish myself? Well, the age, I think, is one distinguishing factor among me versus everyone else in this race, including the black women. Um, Both of the black women have served in elected office before, but we have to look at the quality of service. Just having served in elected office is not good enough. You have to have served well for the people. And I believe if people do their research, there's a lot of objective information about how both of the other black women have served. And in my opinion, in my viewpoint, I think in many people's viewpoint, it was not in the best interest of the people. Actually, there's a bunch of other people. Yeah, there's so uh, But th- I just singled out the three black women, but there's Lamar Lyons. Yes. And- uh, Alex Montiero and Albert Robles, who seems to be running for something all the time, <laughs> and James Orlando Spencer. Okay, so, um, but you right now we're focused on you, Jennifer Trishel Marie Williams. What else do you bring to the table besides your youth and your accounting skills as a CPA? I mean, the budget being a pretty good point. Yes, I think a really important point. One thing that I've heard Supervisor Mitchell mention a lot is the budget, budget, budget. You know, she was the chair of the state Senate budget committee. Um, I aspire to do the same thing if I get elected. What else I bring to the table is I think arguably one of the most important things, and that's lived experience that connects to some of the greatest issues within the district. 
uh, being from Ujima Village, uh, Ujima Village is again in Willowbrook off of Central and El Segundo. And this community was exposed to contamination at the hands of an oil company for decades. This was a development developed by a black architect in the 1970s. And my family is one of the first families to move in. For decades, my family and other folks were exposed to these contaminants. Um, so environmental injustices like this. And then once they discovered, the EPA discovered the contaminants, folks there were given a housing voucher that was only good in Lancaster. Talk about displacement. Yeah, yeah. And so... Having faced environmental injustices, I also overcame homelessness twice in my life personally and childhood poverty. We know that these issues still persist, right? Uh, and that's why we need these experiences reflected in our leadership in Sacramento. Talking with Jennifer Trichelle Marie Williams, and we'll continue the conversation when we come forward. She wants your vote for Senate District 35. That's a hot race coming up in the, actually this week, the ballots start going out. The last day to vote is March 5th. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Heard any other talk radio lately that sounds anything like this? We didn't think so. You're listening to Unapologetically Progressive, KBLA Talk 1580. Jennifer Trichelle Marie Williams is my guest. She's running for uh, California State Senate, uh, District 35, the seat being vacated by Steve Bradford. You're an accountant. Uh, you, you talked about the budget. We are in, reportedly in budget budgetary hard times, um, which is being used as an excuse, I believe, uh, to pull back on support for reparations when it comes to any kind of monetary compensation. When you look at that package of reparations bills and, and uh, the conversation around cash payments being part of that, where do you fall in the specter, uh, spectrum of, of supporting reparations? Oh, I'm <laughs> as big an advocate as there there is. I've actually supported and advocated for reparations within corporate America. Uh, when I was part of a racial equity public policy fellowship specifically focused on black Americans called CEO Action for Racial Equity, uh, I actually led a team of other black professionals advocating for reparations that corporate America get behind them. And I shared my personal experience. Uh, I shared and compared the 21st century lynching of George Floyd to actually one of my ancestors, Claude Neal, who was publicly lynched in Mariana, Florida in 1934. Oof. And yeah, I learned about my connection to him through, you know, a DNA testing. Um, and that, you know, really changed me in a deep, deep, deep way. And so I advocated for that. And that issue actually gained the most popularity out of any other idea presented in that fellowship. And I've also shown up. Um, I showed up to two uh, public comment sessions for the California Reparations Task Force in support of reparations. And in terms of cash payments, we absolutely deserve cash payments. It is, I believe that not advocating for cash payments for black Americans is steeped in racism, is steeped in anti-blackness and white supremacy. Hmm. So let's talk about, you know, some of the policy positions that you want to um, put forth. Sure. So within, we kind of talked about what does it mean to deliver on that mission to improve the quality of life of folks in Senate District 35. And it's really the social determinants of health, which we know make up 80 to 90 percent of a person's health. Um, but more specifically, uh, I'm really focused on 
equitable economic opportunities from everyone from our students to our seniors. I just recently became a part-time caregiver to my 85-year-old grandmother, very unexpectedly. Mm. Um, And so I have personally seen recently how difficult it is for seniors on a fixed income to make it, to make ends meet. We have a lot of work to do in this state to help. But also having recently, somewhat recently been a student, uh, I understand how hard it is and how I don't feel our education system is preparing our students well to focus on entrepreneurship, um, not just working for someone else, but starting their own, having our own. Uh, I became a CPA from a movie. Uh, It wasn't because I was exposed to that to that uh, field. And I think that's terrible. I think that you we saw should. a movie and you said, I want to do what that person does. Yeah, it was it was a movie called Something New starring Sanaa Lathan. Wow. And I saw a black woman in a role as, a, as an accountant. And in the movie, she is, you know, owns her own home in Baldwin Hills as a single black woman. Having been homeless twice, that really resonated with me. I'm like, I want that level of stability. Whatever she's doing, I want to do. And so I switched from journalism to accounting because of that movie. And apparently you have a knack for it because you didn't flunk out. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so, you, you, you know, you, were, you referenced some sacrifices that you've made. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, when I got the great news that I was being appointed by Supervisor Holly Mitchell to the Citizens Economy and Efficiency Commission, I was excited. I was excited to step up and serve. Being in an unincorporated community, that is one of the few ways that we have to actually uh, serve our community uh, in, in, in influencing policy. And a couple days after I was appointed, my company changed its policy and said that no one could serve in those roles anymore. They were grandfathering everyone else into the old policy and would allow them to serve. But me, they would not allow to serve. And so they made me choose between my job and serving my community as a commissioner. And, you know, I went back and forth. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a follower and believer in Jesus Christ. So I prayed, <laughs> talked to my husband about this as well, because this will have a financial impact on our family, you know, losing one whole income. And I decided to walk away from my corporate career to serve to serve District 2. Wow. Yeah. And I believe that that's what all good leadership requires, sacrifice. Hmm. And um, I just, you know, I want to make sure people have a sense of you, but I also, you know, I'm trying to be as challenging to one as challenging to all. Uh, Some folks think that younger people like yourself, you know, are all idealism and, and, you know, no stake, all sizzle, no stake, all too idealistic and not practical enough. Mm. What do you say to uh, pragmatic enough? What do you say to people who have that thought? I would say, look at some of the work that I've done and, you know, to check your biases that you have, right? We all have biases, but um, I have had some success in advocating for policy, uh, not just here within the district, but also in Oakland. But within this district, we had shipping containers that came to predominantly black community, unincorporated communities of Westmont, West Athens. And I organized with the community and we got those shipping containers out. I um, led the advocacy for infrastructure finance policy that is now being shaped currently for unincorporated communities across district two. And so, yes, uh, I am young, but 
uh, I'm not going to let people make me feel bad about my youth. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. You enjoy it while you got it. Right. Um, and Oakland, you, you reference Oakland. Yeah, that's where um, I led. I was part of uh, the leadership of the place-based Oakland initiative for black Oaklanders specifically. And that's where I first learned about the infrastructure finance policy. Um, and we listened first to the black Oakland community, three phases of listening. Um, and we heard that affordable housing and, and wanting to combat the displacement of black Oaklanders was the highest on the priority list. Um, and so we advocated successfully for that infrastructure finance policy. I learned about it there and brought it here to district 35. Jennifer Trishel Marie Williams, tell us how to get in touch with you. I don't know if you're trying to get volunteers, trying to get money, whatever, the website, all that good stuff. Yes. Um, so we are active on um, X. <laughs> We're active on um, Instagram, Facebook at JTM Will, W-I-L-L. And uh, also you can check out my website, which gives more uh, facts about some of the work I've done, which is Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, the number four senate.com. Um, and once you go to the Instagram page, you go to the link in the bio, you can sign up to volunteer for virtual phone banking or in-person phone banking. Okay, um, we got a couple minutes left here. Let me get the Jennifer Trishel Marie Williams for California State Senate District 35 elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. You know, the status quo isn't working. We have folks running in this race that have already served, but what do we have to show for that service? We have a $300 billion budget. And we need someone who understands, who has the expertise of financial management. And I have that as a certified public accountant who has served um, in at the world's largest accounting firm in the world, PricewaterhouseCoopers. But most importantly, I have lived experience that connects to some of the greatest issues in this district, having over overcome homelessness twice, however, overcome childhood poverty and faced environmental injustices in this district. I understand what so many people are going through. And that is why I want to be in service to District 35 as the next state senator. Um, we need a change and we need new, fresh perspectives. And that's what I bring. Mm. Got a minute left. Um, what what do you what's your number one priority? Economic opportunities, equitable economic opportunities. A lot of that comes from the private sector, though, right? How do you how do you make that happen? We need industry standards. We need industry standards. Okay. Um, well, I, I want to give you your last 40 seconds to say whatever you want to leave us with this morning. Well, I want to thank you, Dominique, for allowing me to be here. Um, I'm really excited. This has been a, a very interesting journey. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I've overcome a lot through the campaign. I've lost my father, who was a veteran. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm really thank sorry you. for your loss. Thank you. But this is a privilege at the end of the day to run. And that's what I wake up every day reminding myself. Um, and it would be a, a greater privilege to even serve this community. Wow. Well, condolences on the loss of your dad. And um, we'll keep a close eye on this race. Thank you. All right. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.